if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Today we are wrapping up a series that we have called Christophany. A Christophany is Jesus in the Old Testament. It's an appearance of Christ, the, third, the second person of the triune Godhead. Uh, these appearances uh, are, are physical, therefore they point us and, and conclude that this is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we've looked at several passages. Uh, we are reminded in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we really shouldn't be surprised to see Jesus in the Old Testament. He has eternally existed. Uh, we've had two goals throughout this series. Our first goal was similar to those that were on the road to Emmaus, right? That is that when they were finished walking with Jesus, this is the day that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, when they were finished walking with him on this road, and they reflected upon what he taught them, they said, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? Now, what, was, what were they saying? They were saying, God did something within us. That our hearts just stirred as he explained the things in the scriptures concerning himself, beginning with with the, the books of, of Moses and, and going through the Old Testament, he explained how the Old Testament was pointing us to Jesus. And they said, our hearts burned within us as we talked on the road. That's our first goal. Our first goal has been that as we look to the Old Testament and we see Jesus, that God would stir something within our hearts. The second goal comes from what the Apostle Paul describes he says, therefore, the law, referring to the Old Testament, more specifically the, the first five books, the law of Moses, says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The whole purpose of the Old Testament is to point us to Jesus. So that has been our goal. Our goal has been that God would stir within our hearts and that we would be pointed to Jesus. In his book, The Forgotten Trinity, Dr. James R. White writes the following. He said, if we were to ask Isaiah, whose glory did you see in your vision of the temple? He would reply, Yahweh's. And if we were to ask the same question of the apostle John, whose glory did Isaiah see? He would give the same answer, only in its fullness, Jesus. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that... Yahweh, Jesus, how do we know that the, that the one that John saw, and how do we know that who Isaiah saw, how do we know that that was, in fact, Jesus? Well, the apostle John declared as much. John chapter 12, verse 41, he says, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So John, right up, just straight out says it, John 12, 41, that Isaiah saw none other than Jesus himself. So it shouldn't surprise us then that when John does write Revelation, as we've read this morning, that he is acknowledging the Christ. Now, before we jump into our passage Many of you know I like to do a little bit of a background. Let's set the backdrop, right, before we just jump in uh, into the text. Let me give you a little bit of a background. 
In fact, as I describe this background, uh, you know, you're going to think, wow, that's, that sounds you know, familiar. But the southern kingdom of Israel, that would be Judah, has experienced such moral decline that their nation itself is now in question. I want you to listen to how Isaiah describes the, the uh, Judah in the first five chapters, the five chapters preceding before our focal passage in, in chapter six. Listen to some of the things that he does to describe Judah. They had become a rebellious people against God. In fact, chapter 1, verse 3 says that they had less devotion to God than an animal does to its owner. That is sad. The nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, this is, this is Israel, this is the southern kingdom of, of Judah, had become less devoted to God than an animal to its owner. Their, he says that their idolatry had grown. Now keep in mind, idolatry is something that replaces God's rightful place of worship. They took for granted the blessings that they experienced. They were experiencing blessings and, and they just took it for granted that life was, was just good. Their leaders had grown corrupt. Many of them were even attending temple services, but their hearts were far from God and their worship had become hypocritical. The people were so depraved that their worship services did not display people with broken hearts, but rather expressions of iniquity. In other words, they, their gathering together had become an act of sin because their hearts were so far from the Lord. And if that's not bad enough, I want you to listen to, this is Isaiah 3, verses 8 and 9. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about these passages, and I'm thinking how corrupt and how, how bad things are. Listen to verses 8 and 9. For Jerusalem stumbled, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare their sin as Sodom they do not hide it woe to their soul for they have brought evil upon themselves are you getting a picture of how bad things are do you getting an idea it's so bad that Isaiah compares Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, to, the, to Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the nations, the cities that, that God destroyed because of their corruptness, because of their sinfulness. Not only that, Isaiah says that he describes them as, as, as their sin as Sodom, and he says they're not even trying to hide it. They're just out in the open with their sinfulness. That's how bad things were. That's how bad things were in Judah. I want us to revisit, though, something that Isaiah addresses that is at the heart of his description 
It says their idolatry had grown. I want to suggest that, that this really is the heart of, of the problem that they're dealing with. Idolatry is, is when we replace God in his rightful place of honor with someone or something else. Now, I used to think, of course, I don't struggle with idolatry, right? Uh, I used to think that idolatry was the worship of small statues. Well, I don't have any small statues that I worship, so therefore, I must not struggle with idolatry because I don't have any little statues, little idols sitting around, right? I don't worship those. The Bible turns that idea on its head. The Bible is saying, no, 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 it's not just these little images. It's not saying that you're worshiping little statues. It's saying that anything, can it be a statue? Yes. But you know what else it can be? I want to rule my own life. You can be on the throne yourself and commit idolatry. So idolatry is replacing God with someone or something else. Think of it this way. Your heart is the throne on which God desires to reign. Your heart is the throne on which God desires to reign. Have you ever heard these phrases? Have you ever heard someone say, uh, give your heart to Christ? You ever heard that phrase? You know, you need to give your heart to Christ. Have you ever heard this? Uh, have you asked Christ into your heart? Well, what do these phrases mean? I mean, what, what sense are they? Well, they're figures of speech. They are a declaration that God sits on the throne of your heart. The one who sits on the throne of your heart is the one that calls the shots in your life. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that out of the heart springs the issues of life. It's the heart that, these, that everything in life comes from. The heart is the control center of our desires. Every desire that we have comes from our heart. So ultimately the question is, who's sitting at the throne at the control center of the desires of your heart? Listen to what Isaiah says about Lucifer. Isaiah 14. Verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 13. For you have said, he's referring to Lucifer here, you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. Satan has declared, Lucifer has declared, from the control center of his heart, that he desires for his throne to be above God's. So since the heart is the control center of our desires, consider other passages. Jeremiah 17, Psalm 139, both of those allude to the idea that God searches our hearts. Mark 7 tells us that our hearts are continually prone to wonder. So here's our problem. We are constantly wanting to sit on the throne of our own heart. We want God, if we've given our lives to Christ, if we've given the throne to Him, we're continually trying to scoot Him over. 
hey, I'd, I'd like to take this part over. If you don't mind, God, let's scoot over a little bit. Let me rule for a moment. <laughs>